Hi, and welcome to this Word in Season. Today we'll be hearing from Cyrilus Pele from Zoe Community Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. The Bible says God's Word is the seed for a bountiful harvest. We pray that you will flourish as you apply the principles in the Word of God. I will be disobedient if I don't share what I believe is on the heart of God this morning. Every now and again, God comes down and does an audit on his church. When the people in Babylon were building, the Bible tells us that God came down to see what they were building. And this morning, the Spirit of God is taking a plumb line, he's taking a measurement of us as a church. And the word that I believe God is saying to us this morning is that there's an incongruency between the physical building and the people that are inside it. In the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit takes Ezekiel to the temple of God, where the presence of God is outside the temple. And inside the temple are men, women, elders, who are all worshipping foreign gods. We could be in a beautiful building, but if the quality of the people and the weight of the people are not the same as the beauty of the building, we have wasted our time. We will have something called Ichabod, where the presence of God has left. You heard about Elvis leaving the building? But when God leaves the building, it's very serious. And this morning I pray that God will help us. Help us. Let our hearts not be filled as sun worshippers. There were people in the temple in Ezekiel who were worshipping the sun. They turned their back to the temple and were worshipping the sun god. As we move from one season in God to another, the job of the engineer and the architect is coming to an end. The blueprint for what God wants as his house is almost complete. The apostles and prophets have laid foundations. And as that season draws to a close, there's a need for laborers. Jesus says the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And what we need in this season of God are laborers. We need laborers. But laborers who are faithful. Laborers who are honest. Laborers who love God. And as God measures the weight of us this morning, I think we've been found wanting. And that's all of us, myself included. We have been found wanting. We have made many things more important than God. And the city of Johannesburg, Ah. the spirit of Mammon, has gripped us. And this morning I pray that the prophetic word of God will release us. Release us from this bondage. Open your eyes. Open my my heart is, is broken this morning. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. How do we not see the value in the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. That we treat his body with contempt. 
that we treat the gathering with contempt. We read it every week. You shall be guilty of the blood and the body of Christ. You know why? You have not discerned the body. You have not discerned the body. My heart is breaking this morning that we treat God like this. So haphazard. So contemptible. I pray this morning that God will arrest us. The Holy Spirit will arrest us. We don't even pray before we come to the meeting. We don't even talk to God the whole week. And we just come here and hope that something will happen. How far have we gone? How far have we gone from loving a true God? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, help us this morning, Lord. Father, we have failed. We have failed. We have failed. You have been faithful, Lord, but we have been unfaithful. Our hearts have turned far from you, O Lord, and turned to idols and wickedness. But we pray this morning, O Lord, let there be a return. Let us return to the true and the living God. As a hen gathers her chicks, that you will gather us once again to your side, to know you, to sit at your feet, and to listen to your voice. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to speak to us about a few things that I believe God is saying to us in this moment and in this season. And one of the things that I believe has happened to us as the body of Christ, the Bible in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles is the word methodeo. It's from where we get the word method. It's from where we get the word scheme. Now that word means to construct in a crafty manner or to frame something in order to deceive. It is a predictable pursuit of doing evil. Now, what does all of that mean? It simply means this, that when we talk about the schemes of the enemy, it is not just some haphazard incidental plan that happens now and again. There is a global plan that has been initiated by the enemy to corrupt the children of God. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says, be sober-minded. So what does that mean? It means that the purpose of the enemy is to attack your mind. Now, here's some, a newsflash for us. The devil doesn't care about your car. The devil doesn't care about your house. He doesn't even care about your job, to be quite frank. What he wants is your mind. You see, if he can get into your mind, then the way you see everything changes. But if God has your mind, if God is in our thoughts, if we are sober-minded, then the way you view your car, your house, and your job become very different. But the enemy has been very clever. He's corrupted the way we think. The Bible continues to say, be sober-minded and vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the first thing the Bible tells us is to be sober-minded. That means the arena of confrontation with the enemy is in your mind. 
So stop looking for the devil in the person in the next cubicle. The devil is not your boss or your supervisor or your manager or the economy or the ANC or the president. That's not your enemy. Your enemy is here. You see, God would have not given you a fight that you could not win because you can't win against the government. You can't win against your boss, but you can win against your mind. So the arena of confrontation, the battlefield, if you will, is your mind. That's why the Bible says, be sober-minded. Now, the Bible also says to be vigilant. It's a very interesting word, that word vigilant. It means, and it sounds crazy, but this is the picture of vigilance. Vigilance is, if you take a person that's fast asleep, and you suddenly wake them up, and you can ask them, what's John 3.16? They'll tell you. That's what vigilant is. But if you wake the person up and you say, what's John 3.16? And they go, uh, that means they are not vigilant. Vigilant is to be awoken suddenly and still be able to ward off an attack. That means you could be walking around and minding your own business and suddenly there's an attack, but if you're vigilant, you'll fend it off. Now, what does that mean? It means your mind must also be vigilantly protected in the same way. That means when you are watching something on TV, the Holy Spirit must convict you to put that thing off. Why are you protecting your mind? If you are putting Tupac on and driving to work, the Holy Spirit must convict you. Put the Tupac off, even if it's Dear Mama. Put the song off. doesn't matter. Why? You are vigilant. Because if you are not vigilant, what happens? You get devoured. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, now remember, there's the wiles of the enemy, right? It's a crafty, predictable plan that is orchestrated to globally bring people into an antagonistic relationship with God. So look what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning. Here's the word again. Cunning. It's not overt. It's not obvious. So if you find a devil manifesting in your house, that means you, that, that's not a devil. That's something stupid. Okay? It's a retarded demon, as Dr. Segi would say. Okay? It's a demon that has no guile, no tact. It's just making noise. Okay? If you go to a mental institution, they're noisy people. They're banging things, they're making noise. So when the demon is making noise in your home, it's a mentally retarded demon. Okay? So you must deal with that thing quickly and over. But the PhD demon now is cunning. It's subtle. Not a very popular guy at the moment, but Ravi Zacharias used to say that he would enter to the back door of your mind. That means if this is the front consciousness of your mind, the back door are things like media and music. So when you're busy listening to music that is not godly, it's configuring your mind. When you're reading books and you're reading stories and you're watching TV, even if you're not consciously paying attention, it is configuring your mind. Back in the 90s and the 2000s, everybody had, a, had to walk with a bit of a bounce. Why did we walk like that? Because that's the music we listen to. It changed the way we walk. It changed the way we dress. Nobody told us to dress like that. Nobody told us to wear green and mustard Levi's, but we wore it. Why? We saw it on TV. Leila was watching MC Hammer the other day and she asked me, did you have parachute pants? 
Because that's what was expected. Now the devil is cunning. And let's look at we want to we want to this morning not be ignorant, the Bible says, yes. Yes. of the devices of our enemy. Yes. So firstly, it is not overt. It is not in your face. It is very subtle because, let's be honest, if the devil came here with horns and a big stick and a black cape, you'd know it's the devil. And you'd know not to go near him. Well, hopefully you won't go near him. If it was that obvious. But he's not that obvious. So what does he do? He comes in an inconspicuous way and it is oftentimes because of negligence. Our negligence. Now, I want, to, I want to say something this morning, and please don't be offended by me. Don't be so quick to blame the devil when business is not good. Don't be so quick to blame the devil when your job is not working out. Because I have met many Christians who tell you, I will call you back at 3 o'clock. They never call you back. And that is to do work, to do business. I've met many Christians who have promised to do a certain job, but never do it. Here's a possibility. Maybe it's because we have not been diligent about the way we carry out our work. Maybe it's because we've been haphazard about the way we deal with money. Maybe there are certain fundamental principles from God's word which we have ignored that has caused us to become failures in certain aspects. But this morning, we want to reconfigure the way we think because we have allowed certain mindsets to enter into our hearts. And the devil is a master of this. Look at what he says in verse number one. And he said, has God indeed said? In other words, did God really say? That is the foundation for disaster. The moment you start to question God's word, you are setting yourself up for disaster. You are setting yourself up to be in a position that is to be totally devoid of any kind of dominion. Any authority that we could have had is now removed because of this thing called disobedience. Now, Disobedience stands on two legs. The first leg of disobedience is pride. The reason why we are disobedient is because we think we know better than God. Adam and Eve thought, because the devil sowed the seed in their heart and in their mind, when you corrupt the foundation of God's word, all you have to do is to remove one stone and the whole thing crumbles. Because if I don't have to believe this, then I don't have to believe any of it. Everything becomes opinion. So therefore, the one thing that we need to learn to understand and do is to become obedient. Forget about what our minds tell us. Because our minds have been crafted by the world. And therefore, because of pride, because of education, because of certain things that we have achieved, we believe that we know better than God. The second thing that causes us to become disobedient is lust. The Bible says in verse number 6, 
So the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant, or the correct translation is pleasurable to the eye. Now here's the tree. What did God say about the tree? Do not eat. That is another word. It was forbidden. It was forbidden fruit. But the moment doctrine was challenged in her mind by the enemy, the demon said, did God really say? The moment the doctrine became challenged in her mind, what was forbidden became pleasurable. And that is what we do. When God says, don't do something, it is forbidden. Because we have lustful eyes, what God says, don't eat, we eat. And what does that result in? Disobedience. And later on we'll see some of the consequences of disobedience. Look what happens. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. You see, once doctrine falls away, once the foundation of doctrine falls away, you realize you are naked. You know what that means? All you are consumed with is sorting out this flesh. You live to please your flesh. Because what did they do? Immediately when they recognized that they were naked, they started to make fig leaves. You know what that is? It's clothes. At the forefront of their mind was how do I cover this? Because now I'm confronted with the wind. It's going to rain. It's going to get hot. It's going to get cold. So what do I need to do? Protect my flesh. When God's word comes under attack in our minds, we are consumed with fleshly desires. And all we want to do is to soothe this flesh. How many of us are like that? What do we do day to day? What's the plan every day? Take care of myself. Go there and hustle. I don't know what that even means. But work hard. Look after your flesh. Verse number 8. And they heard the sound of God. The correct translation there is the voice of God. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. The next thing that happens when God's word is shaken, the voice of God becomes irritating to you. Why were they hiding? They didn't want to talk to God. That's That's what the Bible said. Adam will say later on, why did you hide? Because I heard you walking in the cool of the day, so I hid myself. You know what that means? He didn't want to talk to God. I don't know, am I interpreting this wrong? He didn't want to talk to God. When we no longer prioritize God's word, because now all I'm consumed with is my flesh and my own desires, whenever the truth of God's word is spoken, it irritates my mind. Because the stronghold in my mind is me, 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 me. But when God's word comes and says, deny yourself, it becomes an irritation to you. 
in my mind, I must make money, prosper, get one thing after the other. But when God's word says, take up your cross and follow me, it's an irritation to me. That's why we can just not come to church. That's why we could not bother. Because God's voice is actually becoming an annoyance to me. It's irritating what I want to do. And like Adam and Eve, we try to hide from the presence of God. This morning, I hope that like in this verse, God is saying to you, where are you? Where are you? I mean, imagine looking at Nolan and saying, Nolan, where are you? That means Nolan is physically here, but far from the presence of God. Although God and Adam were talking face to face, the intimacy was gone. Why did God really say? It shook the foundation of everything that God had said to them. Now, what does this do in verse number 10? So I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The next thing that happens is fear. Now, fear pushes us into what I call survival mode. That simply means all you want to do is survive. What's the plan? Hey, wait for the weekend. What's the plan? Wait for month end. Next week, what's the plan? Wait for the weekend. Routine, mundane living, all we're doing is surviving. Do you know God never meant for you to live like that? God never meant for you to survive. And that's what we're doing. Let's be honest. Stop lying to ourselves. Here's the thing. It doesn't mean, congratulations, Justin, by the way, it doesn't mean because you bought a new car that you have progressed. Buying a new car or a new house or new shoes is not progress. You know why? What have you done? You've pleased your flesh. How has that car furthered the kingdom of God? You see, you can live in survival mode or you can live in purpose mode. You can live to survive or you can be a practitioner of the divine purpose of God. Let me give you an example. In the book of Hebrews, Abraham, Moses, Noah, God told Abraham, leave your country. But Abraham was living in a tent. Abraham didn't say, you know, I still got a bond on this tent. The rent is quite high. God, I can't come. He packed up and he moved. Did God say to him, Abraham, point number one, you leave here, we're going to go there tomorrow, we'll be two days there. He didn't give him an itinerary. He said, move, Abraham moved. We want God to give us the whole itinerary. He must then come sit down and talk us through it. Then we'll decide if we want to be obedient. Purpose to Abraham was more important than possessions. We are too consumed with possessions. If it was true that what we consider to be success, then Jesus failed. Jesus had nothing. His best friends, his disciples left him. 
There were one or two left. Everybody abandoned him. We don't even know what happened to his father because only his mother was there. But we buy a new car, you're not even worried about the car, you're more concerned about how many people are going to tell you well done. You're already picturing it. It's because we become consumed with pleasing ourselves. And buy the new car. I promise you, in one week you're bored of it. It's old already in one week. What you're doing? Looking for the next car. That is the cyclic nature in which we have found ourselves called survival mode. Now the problem with survival mode, number one, is that you cannot accomplish the purpose of God. Because all you're doing is surviving. All you're doing is trying to get from one month to another. And I'm not talking about money now. What is your mindset like? What are you thinking about? We all want money. We all want cars. For what? You can earn a thousand rand a month and affect the economy of God. Thousand rand. You can do it. Because it's not about the amount. You keep saying, how many of you have said, God, when I earn 10,000 rand, then I'll do it. I'll be useful to you. You got the 10,000 rand, you still didn't pay your tithe. Ask Nolan. God, you know what, this month was a little bit tight. When I make 15,000 rand, then I'll do it. Now you've gone to 20, you still haven't done it. The amount of money is not the problem, it's here. Because no matter how much money we have, we will spend it on consuming it on our own lust. It's not about the amount of money. It's about the mindset. You're surviving. That's all you want to do. You don't look at what you have in your hand and say, this must affect generations to come. What are we building for the next generation? Forget about the third and the fourth. What do we leave for our children's children? Huh? It's not about the amount of money, it's about the mindset. You're just trying to survive. We've got no time to say to God, God, whatever I got, my tent, with my wife and children, we're moving. Surely Abraham had feelings like us. I didn't want to leave Phoenix. Okay, I wanted to. But he wanted to, when God said move, he moved. Why? Purpose of God was more important to him than anything else in the world. That's the weight we are talking about. Don't just come here and sit down and wake up. You're just making us buy plastic chairs for nothing. Come on. Don't live in survival mode. There was a song by a guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman. This is the great adventure. Go on an adventure with God. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be exciting. God is going to take me through. But no, we want to survive. Survival mode versus purpose. Why did God take the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert? You see, in Egypt, what were they doing? Routine. Every day, Wake up, do the job. If they were lucky, they got paid because they were slaves, right? If it was a good day, they got some money, some food, 
And what did they do? Wake up the next day and do the same thing again. If they didn't get beaten that day, it was a good day. For some people who are very bad workers, they got beaten every day. The good workers, maybe they missed a beating every now and again. I think that's a good way to get people to work, by the way. If the whole week you were getting four lashes, Sunday you got one lash, you're happy. Survival mode. And their lives were consisting of living from day to day just to see how I can experience the least pain possible. That was a good day. And we become so comfortable in it, so happy in it. That's why Jesus, when he went to the man at the pool of Bethesda, what did he say to him? Do you want to get better? Because for 38 years you're sitting here in the suffering and this pain, you can like it. Because if I heal you, now you have to become useful. And many of us don't want to be useful. Because you'll have to have two things, responsibility and accountability. And I would rather be irresponsible and unaccountable, but disabled. I'm okay with it. And many of us are like that. We don't want the responsibility. We don't want the accountability. We would rather be in that state. Survival mode is when we live in that condition, one day to another. God had to take them to the desert to show them, you know what? You think Egypt was giving you nice food, they gave you some fancy shoes to wear. I'll show you, I'll feed you, I'll clothe you, I'll give you shelter in the worst place imaginable, the desert, and you don't have to work for it. You don't like that. I like it. I would love to have good food, good clothes, good shelter, and not work 25 hours a day. You like to work. Your Joburg people are very strange. I must tell you this. I would love to not work. But to be taken care of by God, why do you want to work by the sweat of your brow? You're an animal. You're a beast of burden. You're a child of God. You're not supposed to be driven like a slave. You're supposed to live in the rest of God. Who told you? Who gave you this nonsense about working hard and working harder and working harder and working harder? No. You were supposed to live from rest. Not by the toil of your brow. Rest does not mean inactivity, but it's a different story altogether. I am saying to us that there's a place in God even in the desert, God can provide. And you know what? For 40 years, they never got it. <laughs> For 40 years. Book of Hebrews will tell you. So I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Why? Disobedience. They would not accept the provision of God. And like many of us today, we will not accept the provision of God. We would rather work by the sweat of our brow and not live in the rest of God. So what's the remedy for this? How do we deliver ourselves from this? The answer is very simple. It's to be born again. The Bible says, unless you are born of the water and spirit. You see, 
when many of us were born again, what it did to our mind was, it meant for us, when you are born again, you'll become a better version of yourself. So, it meant something like this. If you smoke 20 cigarettes, when you get born again, you only smoke 10. It meant if you were an alcoholic, you'll become a social drinker. You thought it just meant improvement. If I got divorced twice, I'll only get divorced once after I'm just, just getting better. But that's not what the Bible says. You are a new creation in Christ. You know what that means? I had to learn this for myself. I'm talking about myself. I had to learn everything about me was wrong. Everything. We are too quick to say, but I think I... No, it's not about that. When you come into Christ, when you come into God, the old man dies. You cannot keep half a person living. You can't say, no, this guy was good, I'm going to keep his hand. The old me died that day. When the old me died, you know what happened? God came in like he came to Adam and he breathed himself into Adam. The spirit of God filled him. So when you are born again, you are not born to be a better version of yourself. You are born again to be a son of God. The father breathes into you. What does he breathe? He breathes himself. Because I was not good enough. My thinking, my mentality, my genes, everything about me was corrupted. But when the God himself starts to breathe into us, now rises up a son of God who can live in the image of God, who can live through the purpose of God. That's what born again really means. Not just to be better. Not just to give up certain things. But it means to be born into the image of God. Now, when you are born again, the primary characteristic is that God is your father. Very simple. Now, many of us don't like this issue of fatherhood. Because we, we love that scripture, call no man father. If you believe that scripture, what do you call your male parent? The scripture says, call no man father on the earth. What do you call your male parent? But the Bible told you don't call him father. It's illogical. What the Bible is saying there is that recognize that your identity of son is from the father. Don't get your identity from somebody who is not your father. If God the Father breathed into you and you became a son, then call nobody else, don't give anybody else the credit for that. That's what it's saying. So when we call someone father, what we are saying is, I'm receiving your identity. It's not about being sentimental and emotional and, and technical about things. All I'm saying is, I want to be like you. Why are we getting so upset about father? But when God breathes into us, we move away from survival mode into sonship. Now, let's bring this thing home. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 as we conclude. In Matthew chapter 4, it's a common story in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted. In the position of son, 
when you and I are able to rise up from moving from survival mode into purpose. This is what happens. In survival mode, we are always looking for three things. We're looking for provision, we're looking for protection, and we're looking for power. Those are the three driving forces behind human lust and desire. And when the devil came to Jesus, those are the three things he tempted him for. Provision, bread. Protection, jump off the building. And power, I'll give you all these nations of the earth. Every single time, Jesus was able to rebut this by the word of God. You see, why did Satan go to Adam and Eve and ask them about the tree? The tree was the one thing they couldn't have. They could have every other tree except that one. You see, human beings, we have this inside of us. We always want what we don't have. And the enemy monopolizes on that. You can have money, but you cannot have power. That's where the test will come. You can have power and money, but have no protection. And that's what he will offer you. The devil always operates in the area of lack. He will find out what you lack and present that to you. Now, what's wrong with that? The problem is, once you get what you desire the most, you start to worship that thing. And you believe, you and I believe, that our job, our cars, our houses, our status, our money, bank balance, assets, that those are the things that give us identity. Your identity is not in things. Your identity is in Christ. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Not in any other thing. My second conclusion. I learned this from Pastor Jaster. One of the lies that we've been told is that faith is to get the things we want. Who told you faith is for you? Show me one verse where the Bible talks about faith for getting cars and houses. I'll show you a verse in the Bible that says in Hebrews chapter 11, these all having died in faith and received not the promise. That means they died in faith and they never got what God promised them. It's in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me give you a nice analogy which I picked up the other day. If you've had children and you went to the doctor and the doctor said to you, you're pregnant. Females, not, not, not males, only females. You look at yourself and you say, but I can't see anything. I don't feel anything. Maybe a little bit of nausea, maybe it was a flu, I don't know, but there's nothing here. I don't see anything. But you believe the doctor, you got the blood test, he gave it to you, you're going to have a baby. So what do you do? The moment you get that, with the next hour or two, you are already working on changing your whole life. You'll change the way you eat. You'll start thinking about your clothes. You'll start thinking about the car. Can't have a two-door car anymore. You'll start thinking about your finances. And in the, next, in the coming months, you might even change your house. Well, the apartment is too small. We need to get something bigger. Maybe I need to get another job. You change your whole life 
on the basis of something you haven't even seen. All the proof that you have is elevated hormones. You got no proof. But as you start to plan and construct and change your life, now the evidence comes in. And why would any normal person just wake up one morning and decide I need to buy a cot? You can't see anything, there's no physical, and you're buying a pram. You're changing everything about your life. Why? You saw something nine months down the road. You pictured carrying the baby in your arms. You pictured taking the baby on a holiday for a stroll on a park. That's, that's why you behave this way. You see, all these people in this book, they had no guarantee of anything. All they had was a promise made by God. And that thing, that promise, reconfigured the way they lived today so that they could fulfill the purpose of God in the future. And I don't think any one of them in that process died poor. See the car, the house, all the things that your flesh wants? Pursue God. Those things come automatically. Amen. I learned something in my young days. Dr. Segi taught it to me. So don't worry about things. Find your purpose. Once you find your purpose, you become unstoppable. Whether I got the car or don't have the car, I'm going there. Whether I get or I don't get, I'm still going there. I pray this morning that our hearts will be challenged to move away from survival mode. There's a man named Jesus. He hung on the cross three and a half years. Had nothing physical, tangible to his name. But the one thing he said was, it is finished. At the end of our days, let's say I finished. Not I got, I made, but I finished. I finished what my father wanted me to do. God bless you. It's been so great having you with us. We'd love to meet you in person at our Sunday services. Please feel free to join us at 9am at 43 Lotus Street, Gallo Manor, Santon. If you'd like to access any of our free resources, get more information or sow a seed into our ministry, please visit our website on www.lifecom.co.za. That's www dot lifecom.co.za You can also subscribe to Pastor Justin Naidu on YouTube or find Zoe Community on Facebook and Instagram. Grace and blessings to you.